This is the Chronicles Podcast, a production of Chronicles Magazine, the original outlet for paleoconservative thought and a bastion of the authentic right in America. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of Chronicles Magazine Podcast. I'm delighted to be here with a good friend of mine, Logan Hall. Logan, how are you doing? Wonderful. Thank you for having me. Good. So tell people who don't know you um, what you're all about, where you're from, what you do. Yeah, so uh, I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. I am now uh, in Dallas, Texas. I work for uh, Glenn Beck's The Blaze, and I'm a digital strategist for them. Cool. And you've, you haven't been with The Blaze for very long, right? Uh, about, I think nine, probably eight or nine months now. Cool. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about a fun one today and, um, that's the immigration thing. Uh, and, and it's not just the immigration thing. It's like, it's the political culture in general. It's like, what, what do they want for us? The Biden administration, you know, they, um, you know, the regime itself, they, they obviously care deeply about certain people in the world and we're not among those people, are we? I don't think so. No, this is kind of the America last thing that uh, that our, our our glorious leader, Trump, uh, so so popularized. Yeah, I mean, with this border bill, um, what the Republicans were opposing was just it wasn't even something on its. I mean, it was just surrender, essentially, which uh, has become all too uh, common within the GOP. Yeah, that's kind of their thing. I mean, that's kind of the function that they play. It's like they're like the surrender party. They're like the surrender industrial complex where they pretend to be fighting and then they write really elegant essays about, you know, losing and and losing with dignity. It's like every year it's the same thing. They fundraise on it. Um, The only thing that they seem to win on, like, um, you know, like the Roe v. Wade thing, they they are probably frustrated by because they can't actually fundraise on it anymore. Um, But the immigration thing, it's it's astounding. Like, because things have been getting worse. I mean, this has been a problem since the 60s. This is not a Biden administration. This is not rooted in the Biden administration. It's not even rooted in the Obama administration. Obviously, they are doubling down on some very nefarious strategy that they have. Um, But this goes back decades. And the Republicans have been there the entire time cheerleading it and lecturing those to their right who have been criticizing it. So, I mean, let's let's start with the GOP then. I mean, it's, it's always easy to dunk on the Democrats, but let's talk about the GOP. What, what exactly have they done to, to hold the line here? Yeah, I'd say I say Democrats are the party that slaps you in the face and the Republicans are the party that stab you in your back. Uh, yeah. They have whatever this deal was that they negotiated. It wasn't going to uh, stop the invasion whatsoever. It was going to allow, uh, it was basically going to codify illegal immigration into law. Uh, my colleague here at the Blaze, Daniel Horowitz, said, it's just legalizing the illegals. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. And uh, <clears throat> thankfully, that package did not pass, uh, thanks to some uh, some people in the Senate who uh, are now calling for, some Republicans in the Senate who are now calling for uh, Mitch McConnell to step down. I mean, this is ridiculous. How can you be, how can you pretend to lead the GOP conference? Immigration is your number one issue going into this election. And you're just going to make this deal in the back doors with Chuck Schumer and Biden and the Democrats and betray your voters. I mean, it's nuts. And uh, 
luckily uh, that went down and it looks like, you know, maybe we'll be getting some changes here soon. But uh, yeah, again, this is the problem. The GOP just, uh, they really, really, really hate their voters. And yeah. it doesn't seem like, you know, it doesn't seem like there's anything that's going to make them wake up. Uh, this this bill was going to give like four times more money to Ukraine than our own southern border. It's, well, that's, it's, yeah. So that's the other part of this, too. It's like, I mean, we, we were talking about this this morning and people were talking about this, you know, because um, Bukele down in you know, El Salvador gave a speech and it's hero. It's all, He's a hero. He is a hero. But <laughs> what he is, is a hero to his own people. And it's a reminder that all these immigration problems, um, you know, the, the racial tensions, the chaos, the crime, it's all these are all political decisions. These are politically allowed to happen at any time. I mean, the United States government, the regime is way more powerful than uh, Bukele. They have way more resources at their disposal. Um, the tension is a policy decision. So what's, what's, I mean, I mean, obviously this is all speculation, but you know, is this really merely like a democratic way to get more voters or is there something much more holistic going on in the immigration area? I think uh, it's definitely a way to get voters, but Democrats are masters at never letting a crisis go to waste. So the the dysfunction, the dysfunction and the chaos that this causes on uh, on a country is what they're going to be able to capitalize on. So mm -hmm. you see this there. I know New York City is trying out like a pilot program where they're going to just hand out these credit 50. I think it's something of 50 million dollars in credit cards to illegals who have been transported and transplanted to New York City. Uh, you see this in California where they're going to they want to give them free health care. Um, so it, it's it's not just it's not just that uh, they import new voters, but it's also that they squeeze and squeeze and squeeze the middle class. It's a it's a it's a redistrib it's a redistrib redistribution scheme sort of so that uh, and it's anarcho tyranny too. So mm -hmm. like we have to obey laws, but someone from the third world shows up at our border and the first thing they do is cross illegally and then suddenly they can do whatever they want and they can get uh, tax dollars, they can get in these social welfare programs. Uh, it's It really undermines what the law is in this country or what the law is supposed to be. And uh, it's 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 a betrayal of the citizens of yeah. the highest order. Yeah, it's it's funny because, you know, I live in California, as you mentioned, and one of the things that they're really pushing here. Well, and let's start with how, and you saw how the amnesty in California worked out, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these I mean, these things are always couched in utopian terms. They're always couched in, you know, uh, good nature, goodwill, love, charity. It's like all these, you know, these Christianized justifications for leftist agenda. That's just how everything is couched, of course. And it always fails on that. But, you know, when, living in California, one of the things that I noticed, like like, for example, during COVID. Right. So California is one of the worst states. Um, but my area that I live in. I didn't really see anything because these these there were local pressure points. Sheriffs refused to close down businesses. Sheriffs refused to you know um, hassle churches and and citizens, right? And so we have these we have these institutions, these police forces that were refusing to do anything, and so that was good. But what happens in California? One of the policy changes that they're making is they're trying to restructure all of the police forces with illegal immigrants, right? It's part of like allowing them to come in and become part of the institution. Well. 
if if the all these immigrants are here illegally and they don't care about my way of life or my family, there's nothing connecting them to us. Why would they push back against uh, the COVID thing? So like there's a lot of benefit that the regime can have in filling the institutions with these illegal and restructuring all of society. So that's something that exists beyond just electoral yes. partisan politics. So, I mean, maybe talk a little bit about your perspective. I mean, you're down in Texas. What about the cultural upheaval that happens with immigration, legal or illegal? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it's crazy because Texas has been bearing the brunt of this problem for a while now. And you see these blue cities are like almost at a breaking point once they have to deal with just a couple thousand of these people. We yeah. bus, uh, Texas buses them. I do, you know, I, I think there is like, I hear the criticism like, no, we shouldn't be getting these people further into the country. But there is value in bringing this problem directly to their doorstep and not just allowing them to ruin a, like the number one red state and probably the number one red state in America. You have to bring the problems to them and force a decision. Uh, and that's, I think, what Texas has done. I would like to see them do a lot more of that. Uh, I think Greg Abbott should be busing these people to every sanctuary city every single day, nonstop, 24-7, all the time. Uh, until just until until something changes, because we cannot allow Texas to just be number one. Texas has has the the legal problem, but they also have a problem of uh, all of these blue staters that move here. Now, I I am also a transplant, but I am one of the good ones. So yeah, I'm not, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's good when we do it. I'm dead. Yes. I'm and good with you, that. You yeah, have, you have, but this is what the <laughs> problem is. Um, some of the Republicans in Texas need to just view it as like a commercial zone instead of a unique state with a unique culture and unique history. Uh, and this this kind of summarizes how a lot of our Republicans view the country just across the board. They don't believe that there is something worth protecting there. Uh, just like if the GDP goes up, that's that's good. Uh, that's yeah. all that matters. The line goes up and that's good. Uh but you can see it. I mean, I, my girlfriend is a Texas native mm -hmm. and I have friends here who are Texas natives and they say it's it's unrecognizable compared to what it was even five to ten years ago. So, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It reminds me of the uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, Bendel Wary's tweet today, his ode to the economic zone. No, his, but I, yeah. I, I'll have to go check that out. No, it's it's funny. Like my country tis of the land of the GDP of the icing. <laughs> land where the markets thrive, land of the discount buy, from every cash supply, let profits spring. And it just, um, it's like, <laughs> these That's are, good. it is pretty good, but these are trends that exist beyond electoral politics. And so like, you'll have Tucker Carlson, who makes a legitimate point in saying that, you know, this is the, the Democrats stacking their electoral future. Um, and that's, that's, that's a legitimate, but I mean, just look at the past century, just look at our nation from the 1960s. I mean, even beyond all the woke stuff, um, you know, the homosexuality agenda, the LGBT in general, um, our culture is not heritage American culture. And that is a political decision. No, and these not. are the consequences of changing the demographics of our country politically. Yeah, I think, uh, Trump spoke to this very, very well. He was kind of the first leader in a generation to actually draw attention to this issue. Um, you know, build. A, we need to get out there. We're gonna we're gonna build a wall. Mexico is gonna pay for it. Even if he didn't deliver on some of these promises, uh, 
giving that energy to the issue was very, very important. And uh, sorry, my boss just popped in here real quick. Uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's obviously, um, they do want to replace Americans. And this is why going back to your point, uh, what Bukele has done is shown that this is why they're so afraid of him is because he humiliates our ruling class by showing people around the world that decline is a choice and you don't have to live this way. Mm -hmm. Very easy to solve these problems. All you have to do is have the political will to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this. I mean, you're in Texas. Yeah, how satisfied overall have you been with Abbott? Because like a lot of us on the right, I mean, Chronicles has been talking about the immigration issue for a long time. And Chronicles was one of the early pioneers in recognizing the fact that yes, changing- Kudos to you guys. Yeah, I mean, changing the status of immigrants from illegal to to legal is like putting a Band-Aid over, a, over, over a, like a, a complete distraction. Um, because the the issue actually is demographics, yes. you know, like the, the legality status of them is not going to change the demographic and cultural effects that they have. So I guess, you know, as a Texan, um, I guess the, the first question would be, um, has Abbott been good overall on the immigration issue? Because a lot of us see him as weak. And second of all, do you think a lot of this is gearing up for um, the elections? Is he posturing himself? Why now? Um, I have been overall, I'm pretty satisfied with Greg Abbott. I, I mean, obviously I have my criticisms of him, uh, but what he did to stand up to the Biden administration uh, in the past couple weeks has been great. I hope he holds the line. Uh, if Texas doesn't have the duty to protect their own borders and defend themselves from invasion, uh, Glenn Beck wrote a piece recently, said Texas is facing another Alamo. And I think that's accurate. Uh, you have to, and Tucker was saying, why aren't the men of Texas like getting along the border and protecting their border? Uh, that's something I would support. Uh, but I, I think right now there is legitimate authority. There's a power clash between this brewing between the states and the federal government. Can yeah. the states enforce their sovereignty if the federal government decides that it's okay for them to be invaded? by a foreign arm. I mean, it's essentially an army. These are millions yeah. of people. We have no idea where they're coming from. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we have to be, uh, we have to treat the situation like it is, uh, know what, what's going on. Um, and so I, I, I'm, I'm very satisfied with what Abbott has done recently. I think the stupid part on the problem of the Republicans is that we snatched defeat from jaws of victory. So Abbott has all these states join a coalition, say they're going to stand with Texas to defend themselves against what the federal government is unleashing on them. And then a week later, the Republican Party in Washington, D.C. says, OK, we're going to put this bill in that is like a mass amnesty and gives a bunch of money mm -hmm. to Ukraine and not our southern border. And then it allows and then Joe Biden goes out there yesterday or two days ago and says, the, the American people will know the only reason the border's open is because of Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans. It's like, why yeah. did the GOP hand Joe Biden this talking point? This is the problem with what they do. Um, and and thankfully, that got lost. I mean, everybody knows Joe Biden's incompetent. He's not actually running the running the country in any meaningful capacity. Um, but never, never underestimate how easily people are brainwashed in a democracy, especially progressive. Uh, right. Yeah. 
I think uh, it's funny because that talking I, point could stick. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's funny because um, you know, this is this is part of how they do it too. I think people like even those that are just they don't care about the immigration issue. They think it's um, you know, whatever. They're just 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 kind of ignorant of what's going on. They don't realize that like twenty Wisconsin, twenty like uh, is it Wisconsin's? No, oh my it's, God. Um, it's crazy. Wyoming's. Yeah, Wyoming's. Yeah, twenty million. Immig- like illegal immigrants like that's that's insane like people yes, I mean, those are those are numbers that people can't can't really comprehend but you're importing entire countries into the america and and then you're then you're claiming like it's not really going to impact american culture this is this is part of our heritage and then they'll cite like the italian immigrants of like the 1920s it's, and you're like there were a hundred thousand <laughs> italian immigrants <laughs> do you understand well, they also speak with it, this absurd notion of America as a nation of immigrants. Even if you want to make this point, immigration back then was much different than just some person magically hopping over our southern border. Uh, immigration back then was people getting on a ship, crossing the entire ocean in mm-hmm. harsh conditions with little to no money. On, uh, yeah, exactly. This is important. Like, on their own dime. A lot. This is a lot different version of immigration than what we're seeing right now. Yeah, this is. So I love the phrase "weapons of mass migration" because it really captures, you know, the the political nature of it all. Uh, you know, this is this. These are proxy warriors for you know, like deep elite, uh, you know, restructuring and uh, you, know, you know, cultural massaging. Um, things that has nothing to do with uh, anything that you could call immigration in the early 20th century and yeah. certainly not in settler culture in you know the 17th or 18th centuries so this is an entirely new beast it's political and it's also a good way to describe it as an invasion because war has changed you know the means of war has changed do you, these aren't armies being funded by you know official countries these are ngo funded armies this the structure of war is different and therefore the character of the invaders are different yeah, you have to view immigration as a weapon. And uh, Pat Buchanan had a great quote back in the day. It said, America has to decide, does this first world nation wish, wish to become a third world country? Because that's our fate, essentially. Mm-hmm. If we don't stop what's all these immigrants pouring over our shores. And, you know, that maybe it was politically unpopular to say back then. And they the system kind of just clamped down on anybody on the paleo conservative side. Mm-hmm. But I think Trump is really Trump is revenge for mm-hmm. what the conservative movement did to the paleocons back in the day. It is. Uh, they said, you know, if you, if you don't want like a religious conservative evangelical in like leading the party, then you're not going to like both. We're going to elect somebody who we, we don't care about his like, religion we care that he's going to get things done and speak to the issues that's what happened yeah uh, and so i think a lot of people are starting to wake up now uh it's impossible to ignore like what is what is our country do we do we have laws like are we going to enforce laws are we a unique people with a unique culture uh or are we just a dumping ground for the third world and if we import enough of these people you're starting to wake up we have the we have these like pro-Palestine protests on college campuses. Like, what are these people even doing here? Why do we have to? It's it's a conflict six thousand miles away. What what concern of this is of this is to me? What of what concern? How does this concern me? And so, um, I think people. It's kind of uh, it's kind of impossible to ignore now. 
hopefully it's not too late. I think we desperately need mass deportations. I think that's the number one. Yeah, that's the, I mean, that's the other thing that we're going to have to get to. And this is one of the great things about, you know, being with with Chronicles is, you know, we these are things that they've talked about for a long time. If you don't close the border before it's too late, then you're going to get to a point where you're going to have to do nastier things. I mean, the deport, you know, deportation of millions of people is not something that we would have had to face if we had uh, paid attention or anticipated some of these things in the 70s and 80s. We wouldn't have had to deal with deportations. The further along the road these things get, the nastier the political response has to be. Um, and so this is another, like, like you know, um, the New York Times or Washington Post, but even like the, um, even some of the more milquetoast conservative outlets, they really struggle with, uh, you know, more right-wing uh, conversation like the Chronicles has been giving. But yeah. they don't understand that we are talking in the way that we are because they didn't listen to us 20 years ago. Right. So political things change, political realities change and political desperation has to adjust. Um, so let's talk about that in light of the other side of the coin, which is that they're taking all of these resources that they could be dedicating to the border if they actually cared for this country. And they're sending it to, um, you know, foreign problems that have absolutely nothing to do with the concerns of everyday Americans. Yeah. I mean, again, this is just are we. Are we a nation or are we an empire? And too often the political system in Washington, D.C. just cares about the empire while they ignore what's going on in their own country, in the borders of their own country. Um, and this is the problem. We can't be the world's piggy bank and we can't be the world's policeman forever. And we've just we've relied on that sort of soft power for a very long time and things are changing. You know, there's a, there's a uh, Tucker Putin interview that's dropping tonight. Tonight. Yeah. It'd be very, very interesting to see what comes of that. But the, the global liberal world order or whatever they like to call it, it's, it's decaying. And I think they are starting to realize that. I mean, we're $34 trillion of debt. Like the idea that we're going to, be funding Ukraine for the next, you know, however long years, uh, building them back up. It's ridiculous. Uh, and it's, it's a farce on its face. Uh, it's an insult to the American taxpayer. Um, and it's like, why, why, why should we even be paying taxes anymore? If it's going to all of these, it's going to foreign things. It's going to facilitate our own invasion. It's going mm -hmm. to all NGOs, like how 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 long can they maintain this system? Uh, I think that's the chief question. And I would say, especially on this, uh, credit where it's due. Shout out to Elon. Um, the Overton window has really shifted on a lot of these things since there's been uh, more free and open discourse uh, allowed on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny because like I mean, I was talking with some buddies and they just. You know, most of their grandparents, um, they would change their tune immediately if they understood what was actually going on. Um, and that's why they, the journalists, <laughs> the journalists, or whatever that means, um, they're so upset about Tucker Carlson and his earth. interview. Was that? Scum of the earth. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> the, the panic that they have. And they're like, you know, the, the thing that they're saying is, you know, Tucker Carlson isn't a real journalist. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I like him even more now. <laughs> yeah, so why? Why are they freaking out about Tucker Carlson's interview? Yeah, uh, I think I think it's part of the Democratic Party's obsession with, you know, the Russia hoax and this. Uh, they 
they think that they can propagandize people into like this new, it, they're still hooked on this old, I think kind of old cold war belief system where like, we're kind of like trying to fight the Soviet union and, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're in a, in this like sort of struggle power struggle with them. Russia is a lot different country now than it was back uh, <coughs> at the, at, you know, back during the cold war. Well, it's funny because during the cold war, they were all like communist sympathizers. And now that it's over, they don't, you know, they want to, yeah, huh. yeah, it's funny. It really makes you think. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder, uh, I think they hate Russia because uh, they just hate like strong men. Yeah, 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 for sure. They want liberal democracy everywhere. And yeah, it's it's the, like it's a bizarre fantasy. I don't I don't know why they just want to wreck all these. I mean, it's just like a, a desire to wreck a country and plant the pride flag somewhere. Yeah, in yeah exactly. Yeah, so, exactly. That's I mean, it's like this. That's the symbol of the gay empire. And that's I, I love Chronicles because I can say that on here. But, you know, that's <laughs> that's sort of. That's sort of what Ukraine represents to me, you know, is it's sort of an outpost. It's a, it's a uh, you know, flag in the dirt, you know, kind of statement. And, uh, you know, nobody has to be pro-Russia or something to recognize um, what's going on here. It's, it's a clash of, of um, like civilizational and cultural interests. Yes. And I think the reason they hate Tucker is very obvious. Uh, he tells the truth and he's very popular. Uh, they hate how successful he is with uh, what he's doing. Even at Fox, he was the number one person for the hour uh wasn't even really close um they don't like that and they don't like that he's a class trader so he was supposed to be mm. one of them for a while and uh you know he he advocated for things like the iraq war and he's he's said like nowadays he's like i can't believe i did that i don't know why i did that he's uh he's a truth teller and when's the last time i mean when's the last time you had a journalist a journalist right. publicly admit that they were wrong about something. I mean, these people never do their, their word. They believe their word is God's truth. They uh, lie all the time. They're obvious foot soldiers for the regime. And they obviously have disdain for Americans. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They yeah. hate us. The, the meat Trump like called them the enemy of the people. Uh, I think that was nice in retrospect. I think they are much worse than that. The yeah. majority of like corporate media. Journal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, you know, you, we can never forget the way that they were cheer that they were cheering on the, the firing of people who refused to take the vaccination, right. Or refused to mask and they got kicked out of stores We're and journalists. When, when the left-wing protesters were burning down cities, I mean, these people yeah. are awful. They're yeah. awful people. They took the side against Sandman. They took the side against Rittenhouse. They took the side of anybody who has any uh, deviance or, you know, a descent from the regime narrative and its interests of, of destruction. This, uh, you know, the, the, the Jacobin, you know, instinct in our regime, tearing down our heritage, you know, really characterizes everything about them. And the journalists are like their biggest cheerleaders. And not, not yeah. only are they cheerleaders, but they're the ones that are integrating their worldview into, you know, the, the board, like the middle class in America. And so that's, that's one of the things they hate about Tucker is he's, he's, um, he's, he's, he's drawing new lot, new pathways, new lines of, of understanding, you know, that, that, that people like us are already radicalized. Tucker's not for us. That's what, you know, they don't, they don't fear that Tucker's going to change our mind about something. Yeah. They fear that he's going to change the minds of our parents and our grandparents and basically the voter base. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, I, I'd say, um, you know, there is, there is uh, 
something big that's happening here. I think that I think also what Tucker does is I, I've made this point several times, um, along with Tucker and Trump are the most popular. I'd say they're the most popular people in Republican politics. Um, and that is the reason why is because they are cool. They don't do dork politics like what mm -hmm. the Republicans do all the time, where they're just lecturing you about the Constitution or free markets or whatever nonsense this is. And they Tucker and Trump don't do that. They kind of reject that. They're just cool with it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's a lot of value in that. They don't like that we get that they're tapped in with real Americans. They can go. They can go to like there's a there's a famous picture of Trump at like a Hooters like signing some signing like somebody's like shirt or something. He can go. He, he's as comfortable there as he is like in the occupying the most powerful office in the world. Yeah. That's yeah. The quality that is needed with a leader to be able to channel the American people's energy at any level. And that's mm -hmm. what Trump and Tucker do. Mm hmm. No, I agree. Yeah, exactly. They dislike exactly. them for that very much. Yeah, and and they do that in a world where it's obvious that the elite hate them. You know, like people are looking for someone who looks out for their best best interests. And people like you know, I mean, I talk a lot. You and I talk a lot about like the evangelical elite. That those are the kind of circles that we run in. I mean, obviously, they have no real connection to what everyday blue collar Americans are going through. And so, what they see in Trump is someone who actually spoke to them who recognized for the first time in decades, you know, and you know, with the exception of maybe Pat Buchanan, that someone actually does exist in the political world who cares about them and recognizes they are going through something that's extremely painful. And that's the dissolution of a, of a culture. You call them regime evangelicals. Is that you, right? That's me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that term very much. <laughs> yeah. But I think that encapsulates not only the evangelicals, obviously, but the, you know, you know, the, the, the Catholic elite. And I mean, it's not just an evangelical problem. Yeah. It's, it's a yeah. political problem in general. Uh, and that's, yeah. that's sort of what they don't like about Tucker is he speaks to the people that they are trying to shut up. Yeah. And that's what they hate about him. Yeah. And, uh, I think this <clears throat> is also a problem on, uh, in conservative conservative uh world um mm -hmm. is that conservatives are very very uh prone to this sort of betrayal democrats don't have this leftists don't uh don't counter signal they only the only time the only thing that will get you moved from the left is protesting them moving right. from the left as long as you are like in lockstep and say okay well you know, I, I have this certain sort of interest, but if your thing is like trans and kids, we can all get along and all agree. The problem on within conservative circles is that you have talking heads and uh, elites and commentators who are very anxious to denounce their own people for the benefit of the regime. And so you get this sort of selective process in conservatism where it's like a it's like a self it's like a self uh, uh, selecting sort of they they love to cancel their own and say, oh, yeah, I don't agree with the Democrats. But like we, the people on my side are even more scary than the Democrats. Like you've seen some of this freak out with uh, whatever they're, they're calling the Christian nationalist thing, mm -hmm. which I I, uh, you know, America has always been a Christian nation. So I don't necessarily I'm not saying I love that term, but you do have people 
on the right who are like, oh, if like all these scary Christian nationalists, like they're they're post liberals, they reject liberalism. Uh, it's very silly, um, and they're they kind of just have meltdowns about this regularly. It's very yeah. funny to watch online, uh, yeah. but uh, but yeah, they're they're like they're just very eager to destroy their own or try to destroy their own for the benefit of our enemies. And that's got to change. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I agree. And that, and that these are, you know, these are replicated in the policies and um, the agendas like immigration and like Ukraine and obviously like Israel, like I, you know, for example, another example of this would be like Thomas Massey. He just oppo opposed, you know, a big funding bill where Israel was to get billions of dollars um, resources they already had at their disposal to do what they needed to do yeah, to defend their interests. Like Pedoritz called him like anti-Semitic for that. Of course, of course. Yeah. Because, because, you know, when you, you, when you don't want to give, uh, you know, the resources of, you know, the scarce resources of little old ladies, like in flyover America, you don't want to give up their money to Israel or, you know, some global elites. Israel's an a really rich country, by it's the way. a really rich country. It's like and and Thomas Massey said, "No, my my constituency cannot afford this anymore." And so the natural response, of course, was anti-Semitism because the you're allowed to care about people groups all around the world, but you're not allowed to care about your own constituency. The very thing that these representatives ostensibly are hired to do is um, they they do the reverse of they steal from them and give to their buddies overseas and that's that's like that's the American culture that's what's become of American capitalism is like this funding scheme free markets like, yeah I love I love Aaron McIntyre he basically says you know that's that's what the that's what your function is in the tax system is yeah. you know you're sort of like a like a profit opportunity for them to you know scrape off the top and hand it to their buddies overseas and it's it's just interesting to see where all this has come and how it displays itself in things like immigration Ukraine funding Israel funding and when someone like Tucker wants to give an alternative mm -hmm. view the panic ensues so uh, the panic ensues with with that said, let me let me pivot back to Texas because I really want to talk about this. Um, I really want to. You're in Texas. Everybody, normal human beings in Texas, know there's a border problem. They know that they support Abbott on the ground, despite what the media says that nobody likes Abbott or whatever. But people really, this is this is a pressing issue for most people. Do you think it's going to go anywhere? Do you think there's momentum here to actually do something on immigration? Uh, I, you're asking me the uh, the that timeless question. Uh, is something happening or is, is a team never happened? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I think, I think it depends. Uh, the GOP in DC definitely took some wind out of the sails with this proposed border deal. That was a disaster. Um, but I think things are going to probably escalate somewhat because I don't see the federal government ever closing the border or ever actually enforcing the border. I think the problem's only going to get worse. And so, you know, we'll see. Uh, but the ball is in Texas's court. And uh, eventually they're just going to, somebody's going to have to stand up and say, no, enough is enough. We're done with this. Uh, and this, the sooner we get to that, uh, I don't know if that'll be this year, but if the crisis like continues, if the invasion continues, maybe sometime in the next couple of years, we see some pushback, some serious yeah. Back. Yeah, it's it's kind of frightening though because with that many millions of fighting age immigrants that basically exist at the behest of the regime yeah. and are able to access their resources and infrastructure, you know what what kind of pushback is even possible? Well, the scary thing is that uh, 
this was floated by Senator Dick Durbin. Uh, this is probably a month or two ago, but he said, um, he said that he wanted to get these illegals essentially deputized so that they right. could serve in the military. Right. Exactly. Military. And that's a very nefarious line of thinking. You can, I mean, your mind, your mind starts to connect dots when that yeah, happens. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and then you have like, very fine. I mean, I wouldn't put it past the regime. I think they're like, I wouldn't put anything past them. I think they're just like evil and very intent on destroying this country. So, well, it's like the turbo America concept, right? So, Basically, Turbo America is like desperate animals, dying desperate animals do very dying desperate things. Yes. And um, why wouldn't they? You know, like you, these people are, ah, you, you know, you win the political fight. We lost. No, no they will fight to the death. And when we say death uh, of a nation, I mean, the the the, the, um, the ramifications could be preposterous. Yeah, they they could rear their ugly head. I don't know if the regime is. uh smart enough to actually pull something like that off. I know uh, people like to like pretend that they're somehow these like competent, really competent states, statesmen that had governed America a hundred years ago or even, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, but they're just not. I mean, I think we're ruled by a, a class of incompetence, old, uh, mostly like illegitimate. And so, I think to do something like this would be very hard for them to accomplish. I think, again, going back to my earlier point, I think the chaos is kind of just the chaos is what they want because it allows them to uh, further grab at power. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think they're I don't think that they would be capable enough to pull something like that off. Mm -hmm. uh, let's finish with this. What do you think about the concept of no enemies to the right unifying on the right and the like historically the left has been just masterminds at unity fight, you know, like, like I just, just think about the president of Harvard, you know, what's her name? Claudine Gay. Right. So she was, she was let go and immediately given an extremely cushy, well-paid job because yeah. the left always rewards its own. Um, the right historically has not done that. Um, do you, do you, do you see this as something that the right is going to be able to do in the future to not expend, uh, delicate bandwidth on destroying their friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, the, that concept's definitely been more popularized. I mean, I tend to agree. I think the left never destroys one of their own ever. I mean, it just never happens. Uh, and the right does this constantly because they are desperate for regime approval or some on the right are desperate for regime approval. Uh, I, I tend to agree. I don't think that there's any real value in counter signaling uh, people on the right until the right, until the culture is dramatically moving toward the right. And mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah, I don't really see any value while we're in like, the, we're literally in the midst, middle of like a left leftist revolution right now. It's essentially Bolshevism. It's like, it's like people say gay race communism. It's yeah. kind of what it is. Uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think maybe one, one way of solving this problem and kudos to Elon again, uh, because he's doing these like X payouts and everything. The right has to get a lot better at patronage and getting their mm -hmm. people jobs and uh, into institutions and getting them places. We have to have a pipeline for that on our side. And uh, there are good signs that we're heading in that direction. Uh, we just need to see it a lot more. 
No, I agree. I, I mean, this is one of the this is one of the dilemmas of like you know the American rhetoric, right? So on one hand, conservatives are told they have to adhere strictly to the Constitution; they can never deviate from it in their own you know power structures. And uh, Americans are thought of as individuals only, right? So we can't rally together for a collective cause or collective group interest politically. Um, whereas the left, obviously, they use the Constitution to pin down their opponents. Yes, and you know, you know, step all over it every single day. They don't care about it. They're the ones that destroyed it in the first place. It no longer exists. And they think of themselves as having these group interests as being on the outside of an American, um, you know, uh, like patriarchal system that hates them and you yeah, know, all that, that stuff. So, Somalia first thing. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's like heritage Americans can't rally together and the revolutionaries can, I mean, who's going to win that clash, right? So, so I agree with you. I, I think, mean, the, I think the fundamental question is, uh, can Americans, you know, can conservatives or Republicans or whatever you want to call them, uh, can they build quicker than the other side is trying to destroy? Um, and that's I, a black pilling thought. <laughs> and I, I don't know, but yeah. uh, I think there are very good signs within the conservative movement right now that they're kind of just rejecting the status quo across the board. Um, and kudos, you know, credit to Trump for, I think Trump kind of broke this open. Um, Elon did as well uh, with the purchase of Twitter. Um, and so, so have many other, I don't want to discredit those two, but there is a di there is a difference now versus because informa the information age has allowed us to do this. So like when they excised Pat Buchanan back in the day, uh, it was very easy to they just get him out of like the newspapers and from appearing on television. Mm -hmm. uh, but today is a much different world, and you you know they've tried to fire Tucker from Fox News, and now he's going out and he's more successful than ever. So uh, the gatekeepers I think are very very threatened. And uh, the narrative, I call it the narrative machine in the media, yeah. but uh, they're, they, they've just completely lost. Nobody trusts them. Uh, no, nobody even hardly reads them anymore. Um, and so there is a, a huge opportunity for us to capitalize on that. Yeah. So, I mean, would that kind of be the, that's the kind of the way that we should end this too? Like, you know, just, you know, with immigration, with all these things, um, you know, I, I wouldn't counter signal those to the right that are coming up with solutions that are working in ways that we can't even see um, to solve these to solve these problems. Because this is the problem with conservatism is it's always been on the defensive, you know, and this is this is like its perpetual character. And this is this is actually built in to conservatism itself. You know, and Paul Gottfried talked about this in a recent essay for Chronicles. He writes um, a lot of good stuff for the blaze, too. So I want to plug yeah, I mean he's great. He's I mean he's he's a intellectual you know hero of mine. But he um, he points out the fact that you know all of these woke regime proponents, you know, they are actually the new conservatives. They're the ones that need to be on the defense. They're the ones that are trying to consolidate their power and protect the things that they have been uh, building up for for decades. And it's time for the right to not be conservative, but to be reactionary. Uh, you know. That is such a. I would. I'm glad that we're ending on this. That is such a good concept. I was having a a good friend, a good discussion with one of my buddies recently, and he said, actually, uh, and maybe he read Paul Gottfried. I don't know, but uh, he said uh, he said actually Joe Biden is the conservative candidate in mm -hmm. this race. He's the one who's trying to conserve this decaying regime, this husk of a regime. It's a corpse essentially, and Trump is the progressive. Trump wants 
new ideas. He wants these new cities. He wants uh, to end all these wars. He wants to, you know, completely change the system. So Trump is the progressive in this race. And that's where it's, you know, it's a very interesting frame of thinking about things that actually the left are the, they can like somewhat be the, the Democrats can be the conservatives now because they're trying to conserve this thing. This is gone. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's what conservatism once was, is the defense of the institutions as they were found. You know, what institution does the conservative, do the conserv uh, you know, the old conservatives, what institutions do we control? Nothing. Yeah. You know, we're, we're the, re we're the reactionaries now. And um, I think it's important for the right to start thinking like that. So uh, Logan, I appreciate your time. Um, immigration is going to become a much bigger issue. Um, it's been an issue for decades, but it's been sort of an under the radar issue. But now everybody's noticing it and everyone recognizes that something big has to be done. And um, I don't know if you have any final words or where people can find you, but let's go with that. Just go follow me on Twitter, Logan Clark Hall, and then uh, 